all things land development, planning and property. This is Property on Fire with Ian Walmsley. To find out how Ian can help you, visit propertyonfire.co.uk. Hello and a very warm welcome to this week's episode of Property on Fire. So what do we have coming up on today's episode? Well, I'm pleased to say that we have our first guest of 2022 on the show, Neil Briggs, and he's a developer, estate agent, and far, far more. This is really a great chat, and so please do stay tuned for that. I'm also going to give a brief update on a couple of bits that I covered on the previous couple of podcasts as well, and we will try and squeeze in a question from Claudio. So thanks in advance for that, Claudio. So without further ado, let's get started. But before we do, please do like, review, and subscribe to this podcast, and come with me on this property journey. Before we kick off with today's episode, I just want to say a big thank you, and I know I've said it before, but a really big thank you for the very kind words I'm hearing that the podcast is back. We've had some decent download figures for the first few hours, so if you haven't actually subscribed to the podcast in your app, then, well, please do. If you do this, you'll automatically be notified when the next episode is available, which is probably just after midnight, and that will tell you all that. Now, you also have the option to automatically download as well, which does make life a little bit easier as well. It saves you an extra click or two on your app. This podcast is currently on oh, it's around 40 different platforms. So unfortunately, I can't give you directions to your particular app. But if you're fed up with your current platform, you can always switch to another. And as the song goes, I'll be there. And no, before you ask me, I'm not going to sing it. I'm trying to increase the numbers of listeners, not put them off. This is episode 23, and if you listen to episode 21, you'll know that I had a bit of a rant about British gas. And in episode 22, I gave you a little update, the fact that I'd received a very kind email from the CEO of Centrica, which is the parent company, British Gas. Anyway, I've now received something in the post. Well four of them to be precise i've received four checks for overpayment on four of our flats now i have asked them to refund to the bank but they obviously chose for one reason or another to send me checks the only problem is one of those checks is for the grand sum of 55 pence another is for 57 pence and the other two are slightly under and over fiver i mean really it must cost them more to actually post them out and it will certainly cost us more to bank them. However, on the reverse, it does kindly say that I can take it along to HSBC and cash them for free. As long as I show a picture ID such as a passport or driver's license for the payee. The only problem is it's a limited company, so that ain't going to work either. Anyway, why don't you tune in next episode for another thrilling update from British Gas Saga. On to my guest this week. I've known Neil for a few years within Property Circles. As a result, I'm really, really pleased to have a chat with him a couple of days ago. I think if you're trying to raise funds for any size property or anything else in the property market, then I think you're going to find a few golden nuggets there. So welcome to Property on Fire, Neil. I mean, we've, we've known each other for a little while in the sort of property circuit, if you like. 
And certainly I'm aware that you run the PPN up at Milton Keynes, I believe. Can you tell me a little bit about that? What is PPN? If no one's heard of PPN, especially not Milton Keynes one, what is it? Okay, so PPN is the uh, Progressive Property Networking. So I've taken the Mm -hmm. franchise for Milton Keynes and uh, basically it's just a monthly networking event where property people come and uh, just share knowledge and uh, network basically so they're really quite good Uh, you know everyone's enjoyed it so far they've come along we've just kicked off last year so I took the franchise just before uh, Covid hit so it's on on ice for 18 months wasn't good timing then no no um, yeah and again I think face to face is a lot better for me rather than virtual I don't think you can really do proper networking meetings virtually but uh, yeah it's been, it's been quite successful so um if you're not aware of what progressive are they're the largest property training company in the uk and we've taken the franchise to host their networking events so we can deal with property investors and you know anyone just starting or seasoned developers and rent sure. renters and it covers the whole mix which obviously suits us because as service providers we kind of cover every aspect too and are you finding people are prefer it now that we're, we're back face to face or is there still yeah. a hesitancy or we worked on a few different networking events and some of them like they've been virtual and then they've gone into rooms afterwards and it's just the, the numbers have dwindled on those sorts of events so for mm. us yeah, getting people in the flesh and looking people in the eye and shaking someone's hand and uh, yeah, that's how you meet your, your new potential investors or your joint venture partners or your next sort of you know, deal maker so to speak sure i mean they always say your net worth is your network so yes i mean i fully agree having been used to being on the circuit if you like and yeah. going around the uk i must admit over the last couple of years it was all right to start off with but now to be honest i just want to get back into the room and you know, get back talking to people and helping people. So I'm sure it's the same with yourself, Neil. You're sort of mentioning about uh, your PPN meeting. You actually mentioned raising funds and sort of meeting people. So now I understand that you're actually quite a seasoned developer. And as a developer myself, one of the constant things that we have is the need to work with investors and to find investors and to get people to invest in in future projects, um, yep. you know, you using other people's monies or, or opium, as we, we would say. So, I mean, if anyone's listening and they're struggling and they really don't know how to raise those sort of funds, have you got any tips? There's no hard and fast way to do it, but ultimately you know, you've got to be very careful around the FCA regulations. Mm-hmm. One of my businesses is a mortgage brokerage, so I am regulated by the FCA. So, where we're looking for people to invest into schemes uh, is typically done on a loan agreement. So you borrow money, you pay a fixed interest, typically around about 10%, uh, backed up with a personal guarantee. So I'm a big believer that if you have the right deal, the money will flow to it. So if mm-hmm. it's a good enough deal, people will back you for it. And again, it's all about starting somewhere. And you know, you've know, got to start talking to people that know you and trust you first of all because ultimately you are providing them with a service because if you're getting them a 10% return on any money they've got in the bank then they're not going to get that anywhere else and people that have got money do need to do something with it especially with inflation at 5% creeping up to 7% if you just leave it there it's just going to shrink and dwindle away so you know you've got to educate people on how to do stuff I think with um, obviously raising finance you can do a mixture of development funding and private lending which is kind of what I do and again you know, you've got to start somewhere start with a project that you know you can pull off and you know, put a presentation package out there and go and start talking to people about it I think 
the biggest fear people have is the fear of rejections. They, they're too afraid to ask. But once you've gone through it a few times with people, then you know, it kind of helps. And the, the way I started and what kind of really helped me was rather than going directly asking people for money, just go to the client, get your opinion on this project I'm doing. So, you know, you talk it through with them and it gives you that practice of talking through how you're going to get the development done. And, you know, then you can talk about what the returns is at the end. And then, you know, it's an indirect way of asking them if they're interested, because you can say, what would someone like you think of this project? Would you be interested? And then they can give you some nice gentle feedback rather than directly asking them for money, which is generally the biggest fear that people have when they're sort of out there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not easy. I think a lot of people are very nervous about doing it. Then they, they don't feel comfortable. And I know for me as a, as a seasoned developer as well, when I'm sort of approaching people, I think one tact I tend to use is documenting my journey. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to show your, your experience and what you do. But even if it's, you know, your journey, your experience is working, doing projects for other people, sure. um, you know, you, you've still got that experience. You've still got that, that little bit of a track record somewhere. And um, some people don't quite get it. Some people want a percentage. But again, when you explain to them the FCA regulations of how, you know, you need to have a sophisticated investor, to be able to get a sort of joint venture, we need to document other things. Then, you know, they kind of get it where everyone understands a loan agreement. You lend me money, I pay you X amount back is a very simple way of doing it, which kind of takes it out of that regulated space. Sure. Yes. I mean, personal loans is what we tend to do as well. It sort of makes it nice and simple. And uh, when you're talking about FCA, and obviously I don't want to get too technical here, but are we talking about PS13.3? Is that what we're talking about in case people have heard of that? Yeah. On the development side of things, you've got to be very careful on how you're doing stuff. Um, If you are trying to get people to invest for a percentage share, then you have to prove that they are seasoned investors. You have to prove they're sophisticated investors. You have to do a lot more diligence on it rather than a, a loan agreement into the development so to speak sure and i and i guess really it's there also to protect the investor because you know as as you and i know unfortunately there are a few unscrupulous people shall, shall we say within the Oh, uh, property circles and you know it's very easy to actually lose money uh, hardly a month goes by without a story on one group or another where people have actually given money to sort of developers or uh, rent-to-renters or whatever they might be, that is the last they see of it. They might have a piece of paper, but that's, yeah. that's about it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of charlatans out there that are just trying to part you with your cash with no return. And obviously, you know, you've got to be very careful. And again, that's why I say if you start with the people that know you and trust you, then you've got that element dealt with already. So you, there's no sort of, oh, I, I don't, who's this guy? What's his track record? You know, I've got, I started on that basis working with friends and family and they put in the, the, the deals and then moving forwards. You know, I've got people that only met once or twice or have been referred from a friend because they said, you know, go and have a chat with Neil because he knows what he's doing and money helps the developments go through. Yeah, ultimately you, you do burn through quite a bit of cash, not just on planning, but on, you know, the, the build costs and, you know, even the professional fees, like the, the the warranties and things, you know, you do need quite a substantial amount of cash to get these things done, which is why not everybody does developments because it's not a quick game. It's not a short fix and uh, there's, it's not a quick win with a lot of them, especially if you're stuck in planning, like I have been on a couple of sites for a matter of years, not months. It can be a long, drawn-out game at times and, and some chunky money that one's investing or your partner's investing or whatever, you know, they tend to be fairly big bills. You know, if you get a bill in for, just had a bill in for, you know, £40,000 from from a power supplier, you know, and it's just yeah. like, 
other people think, oh, it's a, you know, it is chunky money. And unfortunately, you need that in the bank. And, and yes, we will draw money down from the senior lender, which is i.e. the development finance. But we're having problems at the moment whereby, you know, costs have escalated. As I'm sure you're aware, costs have escalated in the yep. business. And the problem is, is the fact if you've arranged finance for, I don't know, two or three million, whatever that figure might be, it sounds a lot. But, you know, if you, you've arranged to buy two, two million and you're costing now 2.5 million, the bank will say, well, okay, that's fine. But where's the other 500 coming from? You know, yeah. are you expecting us to provide it or what? You know, is the GDV there? We've, we've only gone through credit and agreed this. So, it's always good to have those investors. I, would you agree with me that if somebody is looking to invest with somebody, whether it be me, you or anybody else, should they do due diligence on the person that they're giving money to as well? Oh, 100% most definitely. Each development I start raising funding for, I tend to put like a little investor pack together to show the project, to talk a bit about obviously who I am, what I do. And I always put there, you know, a full credit agreement checked you know there's some simple things you can do just looking on people and companies house to see if they've folded any companies before you know people do leave a trail behind them if they are serial offenders i mean there's another guy locally at milton Keynes who's been through several bankruptcies he's a bit of a charlatan i won't mention his <laughs> name here but yeah you know, i'm amazed at how people have still been lending this guy money you know, ultimately yeah. it's uh, you know you just do a quick google search on some people it, it, red flags should be raised so you should always always do some due diligence you know whether it's asking for a copy of a credit report and doing a company's house check should be your basic bare minimums because if there's outstanding monies you can find it yeah i mean hand on heart i always pay back every penny i borrow and you know I, under my mortgage business i can't afford to have any bad debt so you know for me it's it, I'm always very mindful that, you know, everyone gets paid back. Sometimes it's a little bit late when projects overrun and people understand that, you know, again, it's all about communication, talking with the investors that are put into the projects to make sure that they're happy to wait a little bit longer. Or, you know, if they're burning the urgent, then obviously I've got several projects on the go. I can sort of divert funds from another to you know, the refinance coming through on this to pay you back earlier. So, yeah, it's all about communicating when you've got the money and start making sure people are updated with everything. But before you part with your hard-earned cash, make sure you know, who you put in, who you going into bed with, and make sure that you're dotting the i's and crossing the t's. Totally, yes. I mean, you know, yes. I mean, we we, we won't mention the person concerned, and I'm sure there's an awful lot of people are probably repeating uh, their name right now as they're listening to the podcast. But yes, it does happen. I'm afraid, and the one thing that I often say to people is put in somebody's name into Google, followed by the word fraud. Yeah. See what comes up, um, and you'll be surprised. You'll be surprised as to who you do that on as to what actually comes back. You know, I've always said, you know, please feel free, put put my name in, put fraud afterwards and see if anything comes out. But yeah, you know, it is important that people do their due diligence. And I guess also that we should do it on the, you know, make sure that the money is right on the stuff stuff we're borrowing as well, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, typically I always get a sort of Rick survey done and a QS. I do own a building company as well, so we kind of undertake our own build. So I've kind of de-risked that factor of sort of have a builder walking off site because, you know, we're managing it in-house. So, you know, my, sure. my building company does dominantly just exclusively work on my project, but we take a little bit of client work every now and then, but it's not the whole point why I set it up because... You know, when you are going into developments and, you know, you need your trusted team around you and it's taken quite a while to sort of get the sub if we've got working for us, working in the right way. And, you know, if we have a, you know, no projects to move on to, then it's very difficult. So I'm at a point now where, you know, we're sort of pipelining deals that are coming through planning that we can move the teams on to and, 
I tried to have multiple projects running at the same time so we can have the plumbers in at one point, the electricians in at the other, and we can sort of get the classes in and move them around from site to site as long as they're not too far away from each other. My niche has been the smaller sort of um, retail conversion with maybe two or four flats above. I've just started to do a big one now, which is 10 apartments. So I've kind of gone for the smaller scale, under 10 unit schemes, really, which has saved me from the section 106. And uh, mm-hmm. that's kind of, I've been more comfortable on that sort of level. So yeah, rather than going in for the multi-million pound developments, I've kind of shied away from those and just gone for the, for the smaller units that I can sort of convert, carve up with PD, we've been using a lot of, and then refinance and keep the building and pay everyone back. Sure, sounds sounds good. And just for the benefit of anyone listening, and we just sort of mentioned, we're very good in property for talking about TLAs or three-letter acronyms. And uh, for those that don't know, uh, a Section 106 is essentially affordable housing. And there is a normally a criteria of 10 and above is would, would be the threshold for when the local authority could actually sort of get affordable. But even that's cho- trying to change now. And, you know, that's even... On smaller sites, they're trying to get, you know, affordable in and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, I think due diligence is is, is the key word here, I think. And um, I think everyone should do it on each other if you're going into partnership with somebody or if you're bringing people in or whatever. Because, you know, for me, same with you, Neil, um, you know, it takes a long time to build up credibility in the industry and in the business and, and with your fellow peers. And it can take seconds to actually destroy that. So I think it is important that we all deal ethically with each other, treat each other with respect, and yeah, um, yeah keep a clean slate. I think. Yeah, I think it also depends on you know what what you are doing. Your due diligence does across every boundary. You know, obviously, as in this, we were in the state and letting agents people do their due diligence on us. You know, if you're doing rent to rent you need to do due diligence on the landlord to make sure that you know they're going to pay the mortgage or you know you need to do due diligence on the rent to rent company or the sourcing agency to make sure they're all you know got the correct pi cover in place and you know don't just jump into bed straight away with people because it sounds great you know there's a lot of smoke and mirrors in the property training uh, world at the very least you know so you know a lot of people get worried about paying upfront fees and stuff just be careful who you're giving the money to and make sure there is a, an end product there that you can sort of come out the back with sure it could be a hard question it could be a fairly simple question but obviously you are in property full-time i mean you've already said that you've got several businesses within property you run the ppn uh, you've got your building company your developer your lettings agency state agency whatever mortgage broker but why property why why did you actually get into property i got a trainee mortgage broker job in 2001 i used to sell cardboard boxes for a living believe it or not and i knew far too much about corrugated and cardboard and um looked at some of the guys that had been there 20 years and thought that i don't want that to be me so i decided to need a career change um applied for a job as a trainee mortgage broker at countrywide got the job and sort of landed in property from there i was quite fortunate that i actually bought my first property when i was 18 anyway as my first job was baking bread at tesco so I bought a, a flat for £23,000 in 1995 or ninety six something like that. So, again, I was very lucky. More by luck than judgment, I sort of landed in it. So when I became a mortgage broker, I found the ability to remortgage. I found the ability to buy to let. 
I sort of started building a portfolio from there. And yeah, I, I just love it, really. So I, I, I fell into it rather than it's something that I wanted to do. But, you know, I, I really do enjoy what I do. And, um, you yeah, know, my missus quite often says she sees me skipping out the door on the way to work. So I actually enjoy going to work. You know, it's Mondays are a good day for me. And, uh, yeah, I think that's a big, big thing in life. You've got to enjoy what you do. I think it's invaluable if you can enjoy what you do. I mean, you say you went into the mortgage business, but there's an awful lot of, I would say, sort of professionals, if you like, within the property business who have no desire whatsoever to be in property. You know, you only need need to look at the average estate agent and think, you know, there's no passion there for whatever mm. you're doing. So it's always it's always heartening to think that somebody, you know, could, could get a trainee mortgage position and then sort of morph into something a lot bigger. But I, I guess really that's a down to minor set at a time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, know, you, don't, you don't know what you don't know. And, um, you yeah, know, when I bought my first property, it was a repossession. Um, so I paid £23,000 for it and it was purchased originally, but this is the crash in the 90s at mm-hmm. like £56,000. But I was 18 at the time. And I thought, oh, wow, if it ever gets to that, I'll sell it. And it went past <laughs> that. I didn't even realise. And I thought, well, yeah, what, was, what good is it going to do me selling it? Because everything else has gone up in value and you don't yeah. really think about that at the time. But when you're 18, all you see is, oh, I can double, treble my money. Um, but then applying that knowledge to other properties um, is kind of where we started. So I started investing with my brother. I refinanced my flat. Uh, we sort of put the money in. He was a gas engineer, so a plumber. Um, he'd do a lot of the manual work. I'd be sort of managing the tenancies, et cetera, et cetera. We sort of start building a little portfolio to ourselves. So the way it used to work was um, you'd buy it on a two-year fixed rate. The, the arrangement fees were a lot lower. There was no 3% stamp duty. And you know, you'd wait two years and refinance it and then pull the money out and buy another one. So he's kind of got like five or six properties together after a few years. Cool. And then when he got married, he kind of like split the portfolio up and um, went, went our separate ways. It's not all about property, is it, in your life? So outside of property, what do you actually enjoy doing to relax, I guess, is a question. I'm a quite a keen runner. Um, right. Running gives you my space i've had an injury for the last sort of 12 to 8 months i've not been doing as much um as i can but yeah i've, I've got two kids uh, my partner's got two kids so we have busy weeks we have quiet weeks so um we, we enjoy sort of going out and about but uh, yeah I, I do like a, a nice long run what what do you mean a long run do you mean sort of a jog around the park or <laughs> um marathon oh marathons right yeah okay yeah, so I've run over 100 marathons, I think about 115 or something. But uh, yeah, I did a bit of a charity. I did um, run 52 marathons in 52 weeks. Um, I've got in the 100 marathon club and wow. like 10 marathons in 10 days. A few crazy little events. <laughs> so where have you actually run run marathons? I, I assume you've done London, but but where else? Anything exotic? Nothing exotic. I've never <laughs> done the broad marathon. Snowden is probably one of my go-to marathons that was on my favourite list. So. That was really, really good. Beautiful views, beautiful scenery. And uh, yeah, I'd recommend anyone that is a keen runner to try and get into the Snowden Marathon. There's the trail one or there's the main one. So I'd go for the main one. That's like the Welsh version of London. Uh-huh. To try and get into that. London was memorable. Um, and to be fair, Milton Keynes, my hometown, it's a very, very good, well put on marathon. And uh, it's quite nice having all the locals cheering you on. So 
Yeah, I've done a mixture of very, very low-key marathons with five or six people on a rainy Tuesday day to big city London marathons. So, yeah, Bournemouth was my first. That was quite a nice one, but they don't run that anymore. Um, yeah, I've, I've travelled around the, the country quite, doing quite a few. Would you fancy sort of doing the sort of New York marathon or somewhere like that? Yeah, I, I'd, I'd love to. But um, typically, if we're going to go away, obviously, especially over the last few years, we've not wanted to risk going away with, with sure. COVID and everything. It's... Uh, I don't think I'll get away with trying to put a marathon in for a holiday. If we on a broad holiday, for so I'll probably get a run in, but that's, that's as far as it'll go. But so yeah, I'd, I'd love to travel a little bit and uh, and do some some overseas marathons, but I'm not, not up to that distance at the minute because I've had my injury, which I got last year. So. Excellent. Lovely. Okay, just before we uh, we wrap up here, Neil, and, I'm, and I must admit the chat has been absolutely fascinating. So thank you for your insight because I think there's an awful lot of people are going to be sort of playing this back more than one occasion to actually perhaps understand a little bit more about how one can network and how one can actually, you know, get an encouragement to to actually find investors. And I think that's very key to property. But if you could say one thing to the person listening to encourage them, what would that piece of advice be? Very simply, take action you know fortune favors the brave and you you regret 100 percent of the chances you never took so you know ultimately stop thinking and start doing you know even if you've done it at 90 percent of what you originally hoped it's still better than 100 percent of nothing so you know ultimately just get out there and start doing excellent lovely and i couldn't agree with you more just take action folks just document your journey document everything that you do and don't be afraid, you know, go out there networking, whether that be if you're in the Milton Keynes area, then, uh, you know, have a look, go Google the PPN Milton Keynes and probably sort of pop along and visit that. Um, yeah, we'd love, we'd love to see you there. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure Neil would. I'm sure there'll be a warm welcome for you. Is there a code or something that you might be able to sort of share with the listeners today if they want to perhaps come along first time and have a try of your meeting? Well, you can actually message us on our Facebook page and we can give you a first ticket for free. So, you know, Excellent. ultimately, if you want to come along to the PPN of Milton Keynes, then drop us a message. Declan helps me run it. We'll um, get, you, get your email on the list and we can put you on there the you free go. list. So if, you, if you're going to go along, just message them and say you heard about it on, on Property on Fire and... Uh, and Neil will sort you out and get you in there if you're a first-time visitor. So uh, excellent, lovely. Well, thank you very much, Neil, for for joining me today. Um, Thanks for having me in. And I will put in, you'll find in the show notes, folks, if you want to get in touch with Neil or find out about the uh, PPN, I'll put all the details into those show notes. Click on there within your favourite podcast app, whatever you're listening on, you should find those show notes, and you'll be able to make contact with Neil. So Thank you once again, Neil, for joining us. I wish you all the best in your estate agent, your property, your building company, your developing, PPN, and also your marathon running. And if you have the time uh, for your family life as well. So, Thank you, mate. <laughs> Lovely. Excellent. Thank you very much, Neil. Cheers. Lots of golden nuggets there from Neil Briggs and I appreciate his time speaking to me a couple of days ago. And if you're interested in investing in property, you'll find more information in today's show notes. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did recording it. So we're going to move on to a quick email from Claudio who sent an email to ian at propertyonfire.co.uk. Thank you, Claudio. And he asked me, it's a fairly simple question, but one that I'm sure a lot of people have asked themselves over time, can I apply for planning 
before I purchase a commercial building? A simple answer to that, Claudio, is yes, you can. In fact, you can apply for planning on any property anywhere within England. There aren't any restrictions. However, there is one important factor you do need to do, and that is inform the current owners. Part B of the planning application will actually ask you as to whether you've actually done this. If you can't genuinely get hold of the current owners, maybe they're not known or whatever, then you can actually put down the fact you have attempted to. But yes, you do need to inform them. However, should you apply for planning on a property before you buy it? I'm not so sure, and I'll explain why. Your biggest problem, Claudio, is the fact that planning remains with the property. It does not belong to the person that applied for it. It does not even belong to the person that owns the property. It belongs to the building. Therefore, when a building is demolished, planning goes away for that building. So you have to ask yourself, how sure are you that you are going to actually buy the property? Normally, I would recommend that you actually exchange at the very least before you apply for planning. Or you actually have what's called an option, and we'll cover that in a future episode of Property on Fire. Or in other words, you've got some sort of surety that you can actually carry out that planning. Because I will bet your bottom dollar that on many occasions when the planning is granted, current owner suddenly thinks, ooh, I've got additional value here. Do I really want to sell it now? So I would just be careful, even if you're close to exchange, I would just hold fire because that, that exchange could always get delayed once the current owner finds out your plans. So yeah, tread, tread carefully, Claudio. But um, yes, in theory, you can do. Should you? That's another matter. Only buy it when you're sure that you are going to be able to complete on that transaction because they can fall out of bed at any time. I hope that helped, Claudio. If you need any more clarification or help, then please feel free to contact me back or if you wanted a Zoom session, you're always welcome to book a Zoom session with me as planninggeek.co.uk slash Zoom. And of course, that is also open to anybody else who wants to have a chat with me about anything to do with planning. A massive thanks to Neil Briggs for being my guest this week. I've got several great guests actually lined up for the weeks ahead. And the topics of conversation, they will vary dramatically. So make sure, please, you don't miss any of them. As I said earlier, just like and subscribe to this podcast and you will not miss a single one. If I can help you in your property journey in 2022, then please do get in touch. Keep safe and we'll chat again next week. Have a wonderful week. Property on Fire with Ian Walmsley. Please use your podcast app to rate, review and subscribe to the show. And if you'd like a question answered on a future episode, email ian at propertyonfire.co.uk.